This is the Do It Scared podcast with Ruth Sukup, episode number 16. On today's episode, we are going to talk with the one and only Blender Girl, Tess Masters, about the secret of living fearlessly, putting the right tools in your toolbox, and embracing the worst case scenario. Welcome to the Do It Scared podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Sukup, and each week on the show, we will talk about how to face your fears, overcome obstacles, and most importantly, how to take action and create a life you love. Today's episode is brought to you by the Livingwell Planner, the very best tool for managing all the pieces of your busy life and for crushing your goals. Pre-order our gorgeous new floral edition by August 31st to take advantage of our lowest price of the entire year. Plus, get two free amazing gifts with your purchase. You can get all the details at livingwellplanner.com slash doitscared. Once again, order by August 31st and get all the details at livingwellplanner.com slash doitscared. Hey there, and welcome back to the show. As always, my name is Ruth Sukup, and I am the founder of Living Well Spending Less and the Living Well Planner, as well as the founder of Elite Blog Academy and the New York Times bestselling author of five, soon to be six books. In today's episode, we are going to be talking to the amazing and brilliant and completely multi-talented Tess Masters, aka The Blender Girl. Tess is an actress, a voiceover artist, and the founder of the wildly popular website, theblendergirl.com, as well as the author of several best-selling cookbooks and the global spokesperson for KitchenAid Blenders. I'm actually not sure how this girl has time to sleep, much less time to come and talk to me for an hour, but she has so much to share about life and love and happiness and about taking care of yourself and about how to pick up the pieces when your life falls completely apart and how that might even help you live more fearlessly than ever before. And ultimately, that is exactly what this podcast is all about. It's about taking the steps that will help us move past adversity so that we can create a life we love. Because in the end, courage doesn't mean that we are never afraid. Instead, courage is being scared, but taking action anyway, despite our fear. It is putting one foot in front of the other, even when we're not quite sure where the path will lead. Okay, so just a couple more quick things before we dive into today's episode. First, you can download our Do It Scared Manifesto to remind yourself to start living your own life of courage right now. You can get it by texting Do It Scared to 44222 or get all the show notes for this episode and the manifesto by visiting doitscared.com slash episode 16. Once again, either text Do It Scared, all one word, to 44222 or get the show notes and the manifesto at doitscared.com slash episode 16. And if you haven't already, please, please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen. And also, while you are there, be sure to subscribe to be notified of new episodes. And now, without further ado, I could not be more thrilled to introduce you to our next podcast guest, my friend, the one and only Tess Masters. Tess, thank you so much for being here today. I am so excited to have you on the show. Welcome to the Do It Scared podcast. Thank you for having me. So I have had the pleasure of getting to know you a little bit better this year since we first met last year at Activate in Portland. And you I, like you continually blow me away and you have such an incredible story. And I would just like to start there, if that's okay. Can you share in your own words um, how you got to where you are right now? So who you are, where you've been, and what makes you tick? It's a big, <laughs> it's a big question. I know. Let, let me try and condense this. 
yeah, so I'm Australian, obviously, from my accent, mm. but I've lived all over the world. So um, I have very brave parents who do it scared every single day of my life. So I was incredibly blessed to have that amazing upbringing. Um, I've got one younger sister, um, but my parents literally traveled all over the world. We um, we didn't. We went to a traditional school, but we. My mum's a teacher, so we homeschooled mm. for two months of the year, and we would travel the world and just explore different cultures and and mm. meet different people. And we were always encouraged to really think outside the box. So that's, awesome. that's kind of really where my journey really began. I was very blessed to be uh, brought up in such an amazing family, and also. Mm. Um, you know, my parents really chose an amazing tribe of chosen family. So mm. I had really brave, courageous, honest, inspiring, generous human beings that I was surrounded with my whole life. And so we lived in Australia. Uh, we, we lived in Iran, actually, for a couple of years. Oh, wow. Um, while my, yeah, my dad was training people for Iran Air. And then we went back to Australia. Then I, we moved to Singapore. My dad worked for Singapore Airlines and we lived there. And so that was when I, you know, mm. was further, you know, connected with a lot of other cultures. And then I decided to go to America for university. So I went to UCLA and I went mm. to the, actually the year I started, the, the film school merged with the School of Theatre and it became the School of Theatre, Film and Television. So I studied um, acting and theatre um, at UCLA and uh, I became an actor. So <laughs> I moved back to Australia and I toured with theatre shows all over the world. I did TV and film and then I became a voice actor. So um I, uh, you know, was the voice of Clairol and I did ads for Motorola and Target and you name it, lots of oh, big wow. brands and stuff, which was an interesting kind of training. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting how this all comes full circle now with, with all the different things that I do now. And so then in 2010... Um, well, no, let me backtrack because it's a really important part of the story. I married, fell madly in love and married a guy from Springfield, Missouri. Mm. And I decided to move there. I just, I always take to Missouri. go with my heart. Yes, from I'm, LA. I don't, well, no, from <laughs> Australia. Oh, from and Australia. Yeah, yeah. So I had moved oh, back wow. after UCLA. I was in Australia and then I moved back to America. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, fell madly in love and it ended up being a quite a heartbreaking experience, but really mm. the making of me in a lot of ways. Um, so um, my husband was an alcoholic. Um, he overdosed and it was just this really, Ugh. really very traumatic experience, but in mm. the end made me fearless in a way that I never had been before. And so mm. I really credit that experience with such an opportunity for me to grow in a way and look at things with my personality and how I want to move through the world in a way that I had not been forced to do before because I, I grew up in this cocoon of loveliness, you know. Yes. Um, so I think that, you know, challenges really are our biggest opportunities to train and to learn in life. So I'm very grateful for that experience now, but it was very painful at the time. So um, it was really a turning point for me in many ways, though, not just about being being um, more fearless because we're never completely devoid of fear. And you talk mm -hmm. about this all the time. I love the <laughs> definition of, um, you know, um, so I decided I've got to do something else because I'm in Missouri and I, I'm not traveling with theater shows anymore. And so mm. I was always really into health and nutrition. Um, when I was um, 14, I was diagnosed with Epstein-Barr virus. So I was always mm. very, very tired. And so my mom just said, oh, we've got to figure this out, you know. Mm -hmm. So I went and had a test done. And back then, you know, they just prescribed rest. And mm. so um, my mom said, there's just got to be something we can do with food, you know. So she took me to a naturopath, which was, you know, this is 30 years ago. So that was very hippy dippy <laughs> back then. Now it's, you know, becoming much more mainstream, you know, holistic mainstream. practitioners and, you know, doing more integrative medicine and so forth. But back yeah. then it was, you know, considered a little bit odd. Mm -hmm. And so I went and um, the naturopath was amazing. He suggested I give up gluten and dairy. I'm not a celiac and I'm not lactose intolerant, but it was really a turning point for me. Um, I felt better almost overnight. So within about 48 hours, oh, I just had so much more energy and I just felt so good. So really, it was that quickly. Yeah, so explain it really to me, was. what is Epstein-Barr? Yeah, Epstein-Barr is um, like a sister um, disorder, illness, um, whatever you want to call it, virus, to chronic fatigue. Mm. So it, it just makes you very, very, very tired. Um, hmm. And it can be extremely debilitating um, when you have a very um, – a very extreme case of it. I turned out I didn't. They graded mm. on, I think, one to seven. Don't mm. quote me on that though. But anyway, I had a very mild <laughs> dose of it, but I was very tired. Um, even though I'm sort of very positive and frenetic and, you know, appear to have a lot of energy, I just wanted mm -hmm. to take a nap every day, you mm. know. Anyhow, so 
that was really the impetus into a revolution into the way that I ate. And I really mm. started to really embrace this idea of food as medicine. Mm. Is that a chronic, like chronic thing you have it your whole life if, once you uh, have it? Well, you know, again, I'm going to say this with a caveat. It's very controversial <laughs> to say that okay. when I have a blood test now, it is not in my bloodstream. Oh. So I do believe that you can get rid of it, but there's going to be other people that tell you that is absolutely oh, not true. So supposedly it's chronic. Yes, yes. So, But um, you feel that your health, yeah, your, yeah. the and way my that blood, you And my blood tells okay. me so, you know, with, okay. if I have a mainstream blood test, you know. But again, very controversial. Um, <laughs> but they're doing a lot of really interesting research about it. Anyway, mm-hmm. so um, I am a type A personality. So mm. I decided I'm going to conquer my own health, even if it kills me. So <laughs> I became extreme. I started doing, I was a voracious reader and studier. I took nutritional science classes. I went to a million workshops and, mm. um, you know, I, I dabbled in literally every whole foods diet known to man. I was macrobiotic for 10 years. I did Chinese yin and yang principles, Ayurvedic philosophies. I was a raw foodist. I was paleo and grain-free before we even knew what paleo was and all this sort of stuff. And even though I felt really, really good, Mm -hmm. I didn't feel as good as I knew that I could or that I wanted to feel. Mm -hmm. And I was quite sort of caught up in the whole dogma of it all, you know, like I'm this and I'm that and now I'm a raw foodist and now I'm a, you know, I'm a macrobiotic person or whatever. Until finally my dad sat me down and he just said, are you having any fun? (laughs) Because we are exhausted. I like your dad. (laughs) Yeah, he's pretty fabulous. And you'll probably hear me quote him quite a bit during this interview Mm. because he's really the voice in my head. He's got a lot of really great street smarts, you know, a lot of Mm. really great wisdom. And he's a very simple person, you know. He sees the world pretty simply. So he said, and food should be fun, right? Mm -hmm. And it was such a simple thing to say to me, uh, but it just came mm. at exactly the right time. And I think in life we all need to be really coming at it from a place of abundance and celebration and joy mm. as opposed to depletion. Mm. And so that was my wake-up call, one of my first big wake-up calls in life. And so mm. the minute that I embraced this, this concept of bioindividuality, that flexibility, not rigidity, were the keys to success and happiness for me, mm. my entire world opened up. Mm. So... Um, you know, in acting, there's this famous, you know, the golden rule of improvisation is yes and. Mm. Be open to all possibilities, don't block anything and move forward and so um, and have a conversation. And so that was a huge thing for me. So when in 2010 when I was living in Missouri, I, I was sitting there and I wasn't working and I was doing volunteer work, but I thought, gosh, what am I going to do with my time? Now I have this new life and, you know, fitting into this new country and new society. And my husband at the time, very, very smart businessman, he said, why don't you start a blog and just share Ah. your journey with food? Because this is the thing that you're really passionate about. You can still be a storyteller, you know, and all this other stuff. And it Mm -hmm. turned out to be such great advice for me. So, uh, in 2010, I started the Blender Girl website mm-hmm. and uh, it really changed my life. Um, and I, I, I used it as a way to tell story in a different way. And mm. so um, I, I researched, you know, what was out there for a year. I'm a big researcher. And, mm. um, you know, back then there wasn't, there wasn't really anybody else doing anything other than, you know, with juicing and blending other than smoothies, you know, mm. and whatever. So I was sitting there with my green smoothie looking at my blender that I used, you know, four times a day to make everything from cleaning products to compost to burgers to creams to everything. Yeah. And I thought, oh, there's something to this, you know. Because mm-hmm. so, you were an avid blender person yes, at this point. Yes. Because that was fun. You had yes. food fun. And, and it okay. was a huge, <laughs> um, a huge tool for me as well, you know, because mm-hmm. I think the blender really leveled the playing field in the kitchen Mm. and novice cooks to children you know can really nourish themselves and make something fun and healthy or delicious or whatever um, in very little time with very little skills Mm. and so I think it's a it's the greatest tool that we have been given since fire and spoons (laughs) and so you know I looked at this and thought oh there's really something to this, you know, because we're in this sort of very fast-paced society where everybody wants things quickly now you know Mm -hmm. instant gratification So I thought, huh. So the more I researched blending as a method of food prep, 
it very quickly became a metaphor for how I live my life and how I think we all live our lives. We like to blend different notes, philosophies, cultures, work, loving relationships, hobbies to find our perfect blend for health and happiness. And some people call it their perfect pieces of the pie or there's lots of different, you know, vernacular for it. Mm-hmm. But I thought whilst that isn't a system exactly, it's a system worth sharing and it's a philosophy worth sharing. So I started asking people, what's your perfect blend? Mm. And it resonated with people and very quickly um, one email from a friend turned into five emails from some more friends turned into Mm. a stranger over in Norway or whatever and it turned into tens of thousands of emails a week and so here we are and so now I have this wonderful life where I'm a storyteller and I share my story with other people in the world whether it be as a cook, as a public speaker, as a business strategist, as an actor as a voice actor, um, you know, or as a blogger, you know, so, mm-hmm. or as an author, you know. And you do all those things. I do all those things. Yes, you and- blended them all together <laughs> into one big frenetic ball. <laughs> yes. So, and it's it's lovely because I, I love the variety. Mm-hmm. I love to be surprised. I love to, to stay on my feet, you know, and I love to meet different people from all over the world, from different backgrounds and, and experiences. And so, you know, this lifestyle allows me to do that. And so it really is a, mm. it's an interesting freedom model, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's the one that I've chosen and the one that I love. And it's going to be interesting to see how it evolves and, and expands moving forward. Well, it's definitely fun to watch from the outside. And I have to say, like, one of the things that I love so much about you is just how fearlessly you approach all of these different things that you do. And you do, you do do a lot of different things. Sometimes I look at all the things you're doing and I go, wow. And I think I do a lot of things. (laughs) Well, it always looks like more when you're watching it from the outside, even though you are on the inside a little bit because we're working together. Right. But yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I look at all the things you're doing or my other friends and colleagues and go, how does she do that? You know, because you've got two children. That's the luxury I have, Mm. even though I'd love to be a mother, I don't have beautiful children. Mm. Um, So I can be quite, um, uh, what's the word, Uh, selfish, economical, expansive with my time, whatever Mm. word we want to use, you know, but my time is very much my own. And so I always marvel at parents, you know, or people that are Mm -hmm. carers, that are taking care of someone else in their family and how they still manage to do these extraordinary things with their life, whether it be professional or personal. Mm. So, I mean, I think, you know, time management comes down to all of that, doesn't it? Well, it definitely always comes down to time management. But I think (laughs) it brings up such a good point too about how when you look at somebody, when you're looking from the outside looking in, the perception is always completely different of what it feels like on the, and you, so I can look at you or somebody can look at me and go, wow, they have it all together and they do so many things and they're not seeing all the things that I'm not doing and all the balls that I have dropped, you know, on a regular basis, like this morning, um, for instance, (laughs) you know, like there, you don't, it always is a totally different perception from the outside looking in. And I think that's so important to remember. Totally. And the face that we choose to show in Mm. public today in this moment can be very different than your internal reality and the voices in your head. You know, I have a five-year-old that is very needy that I need to attend to every (laughs) single day. And, you know, I have a 45-year-old that needs to be attended to. And then I have an 85-year-old version (laughs) of me in the future that wants to calm everybody down and tell them how great it's going to be, you know. And those constant parts of my psyche are warring it out for dominance Mm -hmm. or having interesting conversations all day every day and then also the conversations I'm having with my tribes you know my family Mm -hmm. my friends you know my colleagues and so you know I sometimes lay in a fetal position on my bathroom floor just Mm -hmm. like everybody else you know but that's certainly not the The part that everybody sees right Mm -hmm. right so you know I think that we all have challenges. We all have opportunities. We all have insecurities. I, I, I had I read this fantastic book years ago. I'm not okay, and you're not okay either. The Neurotics mm. Handbook. It was so <laughs> hilarious. And one of the lines that I've never forgotten in the book was, "We don't, we don't necessarily lose all of our insecurities. We learn 
how to hide them better or how to mm. cope with them. And we yes. put more tools in our toolbox with every new experience. Mm, and so I true. think that that is so key, you know, is to be very gentle with ourselves to know that we are all works in progress mm-hmm. and we're doing the very best that we can do today mm-hmm. with the tools that we have and the choices that we're making. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I'm, I'm juggling a lot of balls, um, and sometimes I am juggling like a professional and other days I'm juggling like I have, you know, uh, sticky fingers. But, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. it's all about perspective, so isn't it? It really is. And I think that that's so important, too, when it comes to compar- c- comparison because we get stuck in this comparison trap when we're we're comparing ourselves to other people or we're looking at somebody else who seems to be doing all these amazing things. And what we're comparing ourselves to is like – the the perfect version and we're, what we're seeing of ourselves is the real version. We're not seeing, it's not, it's like comparing apples and oranges. We're not comparing two real versions. We're comparing right. one perfect. You and know, one and I'm going to say apples and steak. I mean, yeah. it's not even in the same food group, you know, and very true. I, I think another comparison that we all get hung up on is the comparison of who we are today, who we want to be tomorrow mm. and who we were or who we perceived that we were or perceived Mm -hmm. that we are. So there's six of them all floating around in the tank, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and or the swamp, you know, however we want to view it that that day. And I think that there's, you know, uh, know, for me the biggest trap I fall into is the comparison with my different selves, Mm. you know, because I'm very much of the ilk that there is no competition out there. There's only comrades Mm. and Mm. there's only team members and potential tribe members. Mm. And so – my biggest obstacle is always the comparison of who I am as opposed to who I want to be and mm. where the disconnect lies or my perceived disconnect mm. or my perceived enormous insurmountable journey that I have to go on to be the person that I want to mm. be. So and true. so it's, it's yeah, I mean, you know, these these conversations we have with ourselves can be so beneficial, you know, and also can be, you know, depending on our perspective, detrimental, destructive, mm-hmm. um, you know, and can really set us back. So I think, you know, having people in your tribe that really hold you accountable and can really put a mirror up to you yep. to really show you what the truth might be or a different version of the truth, you know, mm-hmm. that day is so, so key. So is that how, is that your main way of like, combating that comparison trap that you fall into? Yeah. I mean, I, I used to fall into it a lot more. Um, and now, you know, we all, we always, when we're in crises or we feel like our backs against the wall or we're freaking out, we immediately go to our default position because Mm -hmm. that's what we know. They're like comfy slippers, even though they might be moldy, (laughs) comfy slippers Mm -hmm. and have holes in them. They're still what we know. Right. So Mm -hmm. my default position, um, is to feel like I'm not enough. Oh, oh, what am I going to do? You know, and then Mm. I have to check myself. So I allow myself five minutes to attend to it. I mean, sometimes it's 50 minutes. I mean, who knows? But, you know, (laughs) I allow my, I I, I give myself permission to attend to it and just to listen, Mm. just to listen to that voice because I need Mm -hmm. to know that she's there because I need to know how to attend to her. I need to know what to say to her and I need to know what to do to make her feel safe and secure so I can move on and make a different choice, you know. So that's what I mean by my five-year-old. She's the most insecure person in my existence. But um, I literally, you know, I I listen. I do a lot of listening to myself and then I go, why am I feeling that way? Mm. And then I play a game with myself and I go, okay, so I feel that it's swimming around in there what's the worst thing that's going to happen if I just Mm. don't listen to her and I just forge ahead anyway? Mm. And really there's very few messes in life that can't be cleaned up. Mm. And that's why there's forks in the road where, Mm -hmm. you know, unless you kill somebody, which I'm never going to be doing, hopefully, um, I'm just (laughs) going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take the lesson. I'm going to, you know, feel the pain. I'm going to breathe through it and I'm going to move on. And then eventually mm. it's going to be a distant memory, but the lesson will still still stay mm-hmm. in my toolbox. And so that's what I do now. I I listen and then I consciously decide to go with with action. And mm. then if that doesn't work, because sometimes if it's a really big decision in my life, I call a trusted advisor or several, mm. you know, I mm-hmm. call my parents, I'll call my dear friends, I'll call a colleague, I'll call someone who has gone and, and, and blazed the trail before me, you know, mm. and can impart some wisdom on me. Mm-hmm. I might watch a film or a documentary that's really spoken to me in the past or something like that. So I just mm-hmm. sort of, sometimes I just sit and meditate. I'm a big sort of believer in 
I trust my gut. And sometimes if my gut is just not really giving me a really firm, firm message, I sit on my hands and I do nothing. And that doesn't Mm. last for very long typically, but then my gut kicks in (laughs) and that's it. It's, it's, it's go for broke. And then you're, and then you're pretty fearless. So do you, do you feel like you've always been pretty fearless or, and how do you, like, did you develop it somehow? How do you foster that in your life? You know, it's really interesting. Like I said about my upbringing, I was brought up by an extremely strong ma- mother who, you know, speaks seven mm. languages and has done all this mm. extraordinary stuff with her life. And then my father, who is such an interesting man, he's he's just sees the good in the world always. And he mm. sees the opportunity in the world always. And so I was brought up by these parents who really taught me that I could be anything and do anything. And mm. um that I needed to do that, but also be kind to others and celebrate others while I was doing that. Mm. And I think that that's always a place that I go back to. Mm. Um, However, what I realized was through, you know, I told you that a little smattering of what happened with my husband and, you know, I had to literally wade through water on September 11th in 2010 and save his life because he Mm. almost died. And it was a very, very traumatic experience. But I go back to it constantly now because it's like if that didn't kill me, Mm. like br- physically breathing life into the person I loved mm-hmm. most in the world. And he died yes. three times in the Ugh. ambulance on the way to the airport and feeling mm. that I was going to lose the person I loved most in the world and felt like I could not live without. Mm. Um, if that didn't kill me, then nothing's going to. So mm. bring it on, you know. And so I really used that experience uh, to spur me on and go, what is the worst that can happen? I'm going to feel embarrassed. I mm. might screw up like royally, mm-hmm. but if, if I'm the only person that pays, what's the worst thing that can happen? And, you know, if mm-hmm. other people have to pay too, then I will make amends and I will um, take the lessons and hopefully they will too and we will move forward together or apart, whatever mm-hmm. that looks like. And whatever's meant to be will be. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that we are the sum of our experiences. That's who we are. And so it's I feel true. like those experiences have really taught me. But, but, but the interesting thing about fear for me, it's all how we define success and we define fear and we define mm. failure. And those mm-hmm. definitions evolve for me constantly. Mm-hmm. You know, what I realize now is that fear for me is not trying. Ah. And I almost don't like the word try in a way. It's not a word mm-hmm. I use very often because try gives me an excuse and I could almost I let myself off the hook that ah. I won't quite, that I might not quite get there. Mm-hmm. So I like do rather mm-hmm. than try. And so for me, what I realized after that experience, because I did become this incredibly more, I should say more courageous than I'd ever been before because uh-huh. I'd been through this horrible tragedy. And prior to that, nothing bad had ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. I got every lead I ever wanted, you know, mm-hmm. I had this beautiful family, made all this money. So nothing bad had literally nothing bad had ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. And so now what I realized was back then I felt like I was crippled with fear. Mm. I wasn't necessarily crippled with fear. Before, thought, this, before this happened? Yeah, yeah. Mm. I wasn't – I thought I was afraid of failure. Ah. What I realize now is I was afraid of success. Oh. And it was a huge mind shift set shift for me that Mm -hmm. why was I afraid of success? And it was because I didn't really understand what I thought success was or what I knew Mm -hmm. success was or what I wanted success to be because everybody defines success differently. Mm -hmm. For some people it's money. You know, for Mm -hmm. other people it's happiness. For other people it's free time with their family. For other people, Mm -hmm. you know, there's just different definitions. It's all of those things as well. Mm -hmm. But I – I needed to really be clear with myself about who I was and how I wanted to move through the world and what was important to me and that money was not the only currency of value that's exchanged between human beings. Mm. And once I realized what those currencies were in my life and what the value was, I could start exchanging them in a much more authentic, meaningful way, Mm. you know, to not only make my life better, but to contribute to making the world better in general. And so Mm. when I realized that... I thought, okay, why am I afraid of success? And then I realized it was back to that. And I took your fear assessment and Uh I was shocked. Like when I first got it, I went, that's not my fear archetype. What were um, you? 
Yeah. So it was fear of uh, one of it was the fear of not being good enough. You oh, know, it was one. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? And, and I thought, oh, I don't have Which that. Is- yeah, the self-doubter. You were a self-doubter. Yes, I was a self-doubter. Oh. And I thought to myself, I'm not a self-doubter. Yeah. And, then, and then I sat there and I went, oh, and my heart started beating. And I thought, actually, I am. Mm. I am. So for those of you that are listening, if you have not done that, it is so key because you get your top three. It's just really interesting. But mm-hmm. so what I realized was is that, yeah, the fear of success is still dwelling inside of me. Mm. It's not beating with the large, massive, booming drum that it once was, mm-hmm. but it's still there. It's always and, there. Yeah, it's always there. And um, it's it's that fear of, oh, gosh. Not being capable. Maybe I'm a fraud. But mm-hmm. Like it's like when I sold my books to Random House, you know, I got mm-hmm. this really big multi-book deal and the minute I got it I just went, oh, I've committed the greatest fraud mm. in publishing history. Imposter I syndrome. can't do this. Imposter yeah. syndrome. Absolutely. Yeah. All the way. And <laughs> again, I, I started <laughs> and I called this dear friend of mine, Michelle, and she goes, why are you writing those books? And I said, because I'm sharing my journey with food. And she goes, and that's all you need to do. Mm. And your journey's not perfect. Your journey's mm-hmm. not finished. Your journey's not going to be for everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. So as long as you tell your journey and you show up with truth and have mm-hmm. a conversation, how can you ever fail with that? Mm-hmm. That's just, that, that intention is a success in and of itself. And so that was huge for me. And so now I just use all of that with every new challenge that I'm faced with, with every new opportunity. Um, you know, any any uh, new partnership with a company or with a brand mm-hmm. or a new book or whatever I'm doing, I just sort of go, all I've got to do is show up and tell my story mm, and speak my good. truth. Yeah. And that's, and it's kind of all started for you with that huge turning point of, of going through this trauma and this, because it, it, I think it is true when, when you grow, when you kind of experience such good stuff your whole life and you have never had something bad happen to you or something you there's almost like this fear of it happening because you have never experienced it before and you don't know what it's like and you don't realize like how much you can grow from that and what it what can happen and so the fear for people who have not experienced heartache or tragedy or some some major thing their fear is almost more than for people who have gone through it i feel like that too like i i you know i've had my own share of trauma in my life. And I kind of feel that way too, that there's nothing, I don't think there's anything worse that can happen to me at this point. So there's not as there's not, and that's not to say that I'm never scared of stuff, but kind of the same way that you feel it. I, it's overcomable because I've had that depth of experience to yeah, to Yeah, and I mean, from. I think there's that totally, and I think that there's this other great thing. You know, I love that movie from years ago called Being There. Mm. Um, and at the end of the movie, he walks on water. You know, and there's been all this mm. stuff out there about, you know, oh, is it a, a religious allegory? Is it this? Is it that? And I think he walks on water because he doesn't know he can't. Mm. And there's Never something. Seen that movie. What's it yo, called? Being it's there. Just being there. It was the mm. last movie that Peter Sellers did, and Shirley MacLaine's oh. in it. It's just an extraordinary film. But I, mm. it, I, I think of that image. You know, imagery mm. really sticks with me, and I, I see my life in pictures. Mm. And so that picture of him walking on water because he doesn't know he can't is such a powerful image for me. Mm. You know, in just sort of silencing that inner critic and sort of feeling like you can. You know, mm. and he's doing it out of, you know, he's he's a, uh, you know, um he's limited in his capabilities, right? So mm. his view of the world is very different than ours, mm. but yeah, it's just it's an interesting concept to play around with. You know, how would you be in the world if you didn't know you couldn't? Mm. You know? It's an interesting question. Yeah. So what is one of the hardest uh, lessons that you've had to learn either in business or in life, maybe a mistake that you made or a time that you were treated poorly by someone else? Tell us what happened, first of all, and then how what it taught you. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I was on the UCLA campus years ago. <laughs> this very famous director was directing this very famous film and he came up to me 
on campus and said, I'd really like you to audition for my film. Mm. And I had been there for a week and I was a freshman and, you know, I, I had the lead in every the lead in every production in my high school and my mm-hmm. drama teacher said to me, you're amazing, but just remember that everybody that's going there is going to have had every lead at their school. They're all mm-hmm. the stars of their school, yeah. you know. And, you know, from what I've heard, you know, nobody gets anything until they're a senior or a graduate student or whatever. Mm-hmm. And two things happened to me in the same week and I was too afraid to audition because I thought, mm-hmm. I, why would he want me? They're going to want celebrities, whatever. Yes, this is years and years ago now. Yeah. And this other girl saw him because everybody knew who he was mm-hmm. and saw him and she walked up to him and said, I'd like to audition. And she got a role in that film <gasps> and I didn't, right? Oh, and in the wow. same week, yeah, in the same week, the same week, and it didn't come out till a year later, mm-hmm. you know, but it was such a painful, powerful lesson. And not because I begrudged her, mm-hmm. I literally thought, why wasn't I her in that moment? Mm-hmm. Why didn't I say yes and? Mm-hmm. And my acting career could be very different now because of yeah. that, right? So in the same week, uh, there was uh, a woman uh, who was directing a show on campus and they were auditioning and I didn't go and audition. Because then I thought, I'm not going to get it. All the seniors mm-hmm. are getting whatever. So I listened to those people that had told the me those things, right? how, how it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Right? Anyhow, they couldn't find who they wanted, so the story goes. And so the dramaturg of the production, he uh, was my TA in my mm-hmm. theatre history class. And he just said to the director, you know what, I've got this really smart girl in my class and I've just got a feeling she's the one. I could be totally wrong, but why don't we just ask her? So I'm walking across campus and they just, you know, come after me. Hey, hey, you know, we'd really love you to audition, blah, 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 blah. And because I had felt that fear from two days prior, mm. I went, okay, even though I was freaking out that I yeah. couldn't do it. But you were so mad at yourself for saying no to the other Right. Thing. And I got the part. Wow. And they cast the whole show around me. Oh, and that's amazing. Then I got Lady Macbeth and then I got blah, 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 blah mm. right? And the rest is history. And so it was a lesson for me and one that I kept learning in my acting career where, you know, oh, gosh, I got so close to getting so many parts in Mm -hmm. so many things, you know, me and another actor or me and two other actors or down to the final five, you know, going to producers, whatever, whatever, whatever. And it was like 17 times in a row or something. Mm. And I just kept, my inner monologue was, why isn't it me? Why isn't it me? Mm -hmm. You know? And for many, many years, I had that, that, that mantra in my head, why isn't it me? Mm -hmm. And it goes back to what I was saying about the fear of success and the fear of failure. Mm -hmm. What I realize now today, it was because I didn't decide that it was going to be me. Ah. I didn't decide that it was going to be me. Mm. And what I mean by that is have a belief that it could Mm -hmm. be me. Mm. And so that has been the most painful lesson in my life Mm. and one that I am never going to make again. Mm. And so now when I, what what the Blender Girl has taught me now that I do all those different things is that Mm -hmm. I decided that she was going to be me. Mm-hmm. And I took action and I built that multi-million dollar website and I have all these partnerships and I became, you know, the first spokesperson in, you know, KitchenAid history and all this other stuff that I've done because I decided that I could and I decided mm-hmm. it was going to be me and I decided to go out there and claim it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that. so now, you know, those lessons that I learned very early on when I was 19, mm-hmm. um, they still play out. I pull that tool out of my toolbox almost every single day. Wow. And so I'm so grateful for, for that lesson at UCLA. And, you know, it's I've got had a lot of lessons since, but I really think that it's a really pivotal one that I draw on over and over and over. Please. That's a great story. Yeah. Decide that it's going to be you, Tess. Hard yeah. lesson, but yeah. amazing. And I mean, then, but, amazing. Yeah, and, then it, it, and then it came back full circle. Years and years later, I got mm. this really, really big – Uh, lead in a video game because I do a Mm. lot of video games now and I do them mostly under another name now Mm -hmm. just because of all the different things I do but (laughs) it was so huge because all these other people that were up you know down into the final five girls they were all Mm. massive stars and massive people in the industry Mm. I thought there's no way I'm going to get this right Mm -hmm. and I got it and I did all of these sessions and this happens a lot in video games um, 
they get recast, you know, if the mm. game's in trouble or they find a celebrity who wants it or whatever, you know, it's mm. all about marketability. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. about me. You know, as my agent said, she said, if you were terrible, they would have recast you after the first session. You did how mm. many sessions on that game? Mm-hmm. Anyhow, um, they recast me mm. with somebody very big oh. and it, it, it turned out to be the biggest game of the year that year and it was really, really painful. And mm. it was the one of the only times in my adult life in business that I actually lay in my bed with my teddy bear from childhood and oh. cried and cried and cried. Mm. And I went back to that why isn't it me story. Mm-hmm. And then the 65-year-old of me like pretty much slapped me and said, <laughs> hey, decide it's going to be you it's okay Mm. this this one just wasn't you Mm -hmm. right but decide that the next one's going to be you and keep going Mm -hmm. and the other great advice I got it's no different from auditioning you know when I step in that room for those five minutes I'm deciding it's going to be me it's Mm -hmm. my part for those five minutes you know Mm -hmm. and I I feel that way when I'm getting up in public speaking Mm -hmm. it's me I'm deciding Mm -hmm. it's going to be me in this moment you know Mm -hmm. whatever that ends up meaning you know but it brings a gusto and an enthusiasm and a and a, a courage, you know, that, that I constantly draw from it, you know. But it, then it comes full circle, you know, with the Blender Girl. My friend remembered that story and when my first oh. book came out, she said, there's no recasting on this one. Oh, wow. That's and great. And that in business now, you know, when I am playing myself because I'm mm-hmm. playing myself more often than I'm not playing myself, mm-hmm. there is no recasting. No. Nope. So it's a really – it's yeah that'd be that'd be the one that sticks with me the most I wow just so with acting is that how were you, how was your outcast score when you did the assessment because I that I'm my top um fear archetype is outcast by far I'm like 90% on outcast yeah 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 no <laughs> so my-, my deepest fear is rejection I can't imagine being an being an actor and being getting all the rejection because that is that yeah. is my like it any sort of rejection for me is so painful. Oh, it's awful. I mean, I don't think anybody enjoys it, do no, they? I mean, I don't think it's, anybody, it's, but some people take just, it out worse yeah. than others. <laughs> oh, it's so awful. But reading the four agreements was really huge for me. Mm. It's not about you, right? Yeah. So when I took a job as a reader, so I took a job as a reader because I wanted to put that tool in my toolbox mm. of how are these producers, directors, networks making these decisions? Mm-hmm. So I took a job as a reader and I was reading opposite actors, you know, for producers and directors. And my goodness, is that a tool that I put into my toolbox every day? I pull out of my toolbox every day as well because you have all these really, really good actors who come into the room. Mm -hmm. They're all good. They could all play the part. Mm. But every once in a while there's someone who just has a quality that you just can't bottle Mm. and they just are the character and then uh, other times people don't get the role for the dumbest reasons on earth like mm. I've been in the room where the director's like she looks like my ex-wife no way <laughs> or right or producers are like she was in the Arby's commercial I hate Arby's or something like oh, that that's right? hilarious and it was just the dumbest stuff right yeah. or, or whatever I mean it wasn't dumb to them but yeah I thought, oh you know what got it and so now when I go into the room it's like if you're buying Tess today then I got what you need yeah if you're buying Ruth today then I'm never going to be Ruth, yeah. and I don't have what you need today and it's actually not about me it's oh. about what they've already decided they want that's and amazing think, how yeah, smart think, of you to do it well, that way no I mean I'm 45 <laughs> now it's taken me 25 years to get to this place right and so that I was you, just recent oh like, no no no, no it probably in the last you know well again oh. since that tragedy but okay. it's that thing of if you're buying tests today I can help mm. you. If you're not buying tests today, let me tell you where else you can get what you need yeah. and that's okay or I'm going to send you off with love and your best and my best doesn't belong in the glass together today. But it might next week or next month or next year when there's a better fit. And I think mm. for me, you know, no full stop is a complete sentence and it means saying yes to something better mm. or that's a better fit or that's more right today. Mm. And so I think that, you know, when people take their yes off the table with you, it really frees you up to go and get your yes somewhere where the yes wants to show up for you mm. in that situation, whatever that means, right? And it also frees other people to give their yes to someone who they want to give their yes to, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that it kind of just creates a much more authentic pot for everybody. So, yeah, I mean, four agreements is big for me. It's not about me. It's not about me. I'm going to have to remember that. 
Yeah, it's big. Rejection's big though. To answer your question, no, it's, it's always painful. It's mm. always painful. But what I'll say to you now is now that I have more tools in my toolbox and I've been in training for 25 years to accept rejection because you get rejected on a daily basis. We all do, right? Mm. It's, um, it's you know, my yeah, I, I um, my rebound rate is so much quicker, right? Well, so I think about myself bouncing on a trampoline, right? And yeah. I'm either way up in the air in suspended belief mm-hmm. or in arrested development or I choose to jump back down and bounce mm-hmm. again. And mm-hmm. so I think that it's really huge for me, but uh, yeah, I mean, rejection sucks. Okay, but my friend, my <laughs> friend sucks. Lynn, yeah, my friend Lynn, who's a headhunter, she mm. always says this to me. She says, "If your self esteem is in place, there's nothing you can't do, because life is like three legs of a stool." She says, she's, mm. and she's so smart. And she said, "You've got your personal life, your professional life, and your self esteem. Mm. And as long as two out of the three are in place, you're going to stay." You're going to stay on an even mm. footing and you're going to always find your balance. Mm. But gosh, you better hope self-esteem is one of them, you mm. know, because so it's that thing of, you know, you want to, are you in sales or are you not in sales? You better hope you're in sales or you're screwed because we have to sell ourselves with everything in life. We have to sell ourselves to ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's self-esteem. I can do that. I can get that job. I can show up. I am good enough or whatever. So yeah, rejection sucks, but <laughs> I, I, my rebound rate is much, 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 much faster. So speaking of not being rejected, um, tell us what you're working on right now that has you super fired up. Oh, I am about to launch uh, the sixth iteration of my website and I am so excited. I always get excited when I'm taking things to the next level, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm thinking outside the box and... So my website launches next month. So we are in mock-up phase and we go into QC um, in two weeks' time. So it's very, very exciting. It is so beautiful. So I'm very excited about that. And um, I recently launched a cleanse program and we just put our second group through it and people are saying it was this life-changing experience and really rethought the way they thought about food. So that's The Decadent Detox. That's at thedecadentdetox.com. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, and I participate live with everybody. So it's such mm. a great opportunity to, you know, interact with other people all over the world that are moving through the world, you know, in, in uh, anywhere on their wellness journey. So just so that's to clarify, the Decadent Detox gives people f- vegan food that helps them detox that actually tastes good. Yes. So it's, and that's what, you know, that's really, you know, why my books have sold hundreds of thousands of copies, right? Because the, mm-hmm. the recipes are delicious. And mm. so, um, yeah, everyone's like, I didn't even feel like I was cleansing. I felt like I was at a gourmet spa <laughs> the whole two weeks, you know, and that's, that's the thing, right? Is again, mm. working from a place of abundance and joy rather than depletion, thinking mm. about all the incredible things you can eat that are health promoting, as opposed mm. to thinking about what you can't do yeah. and can't eat. So I'm really excited about those things things. And, you know, I'm working on two new blenders with KitchenAid. I'm heading out there this week to work with the designers and engineers and they launch next year. So it's a very, very exciting time. Because you helped to design their blender, right? Well, um, they have an amazing team of designers. Um, I work with the engineers and the Mm -hmm. design team, um, but I don't want to take anything away from how incredible they are at KitchenAid. I'm just one part of the team. You give your input, I I should say. I do. I work with them. (laughs) You know, every every six weeks we'll work on the blenders and and we're all thereabouts and we'll tweak them. You know, I have a very particular way that, you know, I test machines so we test it all together. And, uh, you know, there's just, there's a lot of back and forth going on how things can be better and what what we want to be changing and you know I really want to be creating the best blender at every price point and I think that we have done that so it's a very exciting time so yeah and the oh. other project is more rest my Ooh. my word for this year is balance and Whoa. so I am fearlessly or as much as much as I'm ever going to be fearless because we're not really <laughs> fearless that, that's a kind of a it's, a it's a bit of a non-word isn't it mm-hmm. but um pursuing balance in my life that I can be a workaholic and um, and I do have a problem saying no to people, mm. particularly if I can help, I want to. And so, Ruth, you're helping me with that. I and am. so I, th- I thank you I for am. that. Um, but, yeah, just um, just my, pro- my biggest project I'm excited about is me this year. I had a lot mm. of change happen in my personal life last year and that. just traveling more, spending more time with people that I love and spending more time with myself. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a great year. I'm so excited. Oh, I love that. So what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received and why? (laughs) Definitely trust yourself. Mm. Listen 
and trust yourself above everyone else. Mm, and it's very hard to do that when you don't feel like you have the tools in your toolbox and you're mm-hmm. feeling really, really low. But I think that we know, we know what we need and we know what we want. We're just afraid to say it out loud. So mm-hmm. often we can be afraid to so say it true. out loud. So it's a big one for me is just I really believe in trusting my gut and sometimes Mm -hmm. my gut gets a little bit lost because of the noise outside of my Mm -hmm. head and the noises inside my head and my multiple personality disorder and all that (laughs) other stuff right of all the all the versions of myself warring it out right Mm -hmm. but if I just sit and be quiet and listen so um the truth reveals itself and I move Mm. forward and I make a choice and I never look back because it's the choice I was meant to make and it's going to put me into training for who I'm going to be tomorrow and so listening listen and trust yourself. I love it. Well, that is the perfect way to wrap up. So is there anything else, any final parting thoughts you want us to know and where can we find you? Be courageous and be kind. I love it. It's a great way to be in the world. And um, yes, you can find me at theblendergirl.com and I'm the blender girl everywhere in social media. And yeah, <laughs> I'd love to hear from anybody about what they're, I I, I mean, I've listened to the other episodes. They're so inspiring. It's so great to hear other people's stories. And um, imagine who we could all be if Mm. we do it scared. So true. Kind of incredible, right? So true. Thank you, Tess. Thank you. And uh, we will will have you back soon. Yay. Okay, so now don't forget that if you would like to grab our Do It Scared Manifesto or to get the show notes for this episode, you can find it all at doitscared.com slash episode 16, or you can get that manifesto by texting Do It Scared to 44222 right now. Once again, get all the show notes for this episode, links to everything that we talked about at doitscared.com slash episode 16, or you can get the manifesto by texting Do It Scared to 44222 on your phone right now. And then before we go, I just want to say for the record that I love hearing from you guys. If you have any questions about what we talked about today or any other topics that you would like to see addressed on the Do It Scared podcast or any stories of your own Do It Scared moments that you would like to share, please, please feel free to reach out via email by filling out our form at doitscared.com. And that about does it for this episode of the Do It Scared podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. And if you liked what you heard, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes and then share a screenshot of your review at doitscared.com for a chance to win Do It Scared t-shirts and mugs. And if you don't have access to iTunes, you can always go to Facebook or leave a review right on our website. Also, be sure to subscribe via iTunes or Google Play or wherever you like to listen to be notified of new episodes. And speaking of upcoming episodes, be sure to join me next week as we talk about what it means to live life with no excuses and how that will literally change everything once you've put that policy in place. It might just be the most powerful episode yet, and I promise you will not want to miss it. I will catch you then.